God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Bringing you truth, justice, and the American way of making money. I'm John Adams. Seated firmly in the free enterprise chair, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. Coming to you live from an undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in the southeastern United States, perhaps Southern Command Headquarters on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. Thence broadcast 23,300 miles directly into outer space. This week affiliates, SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fruited plain to our vast EMR network. 331 stations plus the island of Guam. That's just the way it is. I am thrilled to have you with us for this special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. Let not your hearts be troubled. We will solve your real estate problems today. Our quote for the week from the person I believe may have been the greatest president in the history of the United States, certainly the greatest president in my lifetime, Ronald Reagan, who said, I just hit another blue screen of death on the big screen here. How about that? Um, maybe it's the sound of my voice that it doesn't like. Government's view of the economy can be summed up in a few short phrases. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulated. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. <laughs> that really is where we are, I think, as we are talking about um, the economy and our real estate investing. And what I'd like to do is spend a little bit of time this morning talking about the difference between Class A properties, B, and C. And this is so important because um, and I'm going to see if I can adjust the way this, no, I don't think I can. Well, whatever. I was trying to adjust, um, something here. Anyway, that's fine. Um, let's go back to class A properties. When thinking about investing in real estate, boys and girls, we have three classes of properties. Now, many of you will remember that John Mangum said once a year, we should rate each of our properties as A, B, or C. 
A, are the properties we love and don't cause us any trouble. C, are the properties we don't love that seem always to have vacancies and problems and one thing after another. And B, is everything in between. I'm going to use that same analogy for the class A, class B, class C. Okay, so let's start with class A. And these properties represent the highest quality buildings in their market and the area. These are post properties. These are tempo properties. These are, I mean, you drive onto it and it looks like Kew Royal Botanical Gardens in London. It's unbelievable. Really a beautiful property. Um, they're generally newer properties built within the last 15 years. They have top amenities, um, high income earning tenants, low vacancy rates. A good example would be to drive over to uh, what used to be Executive Park, northwest of Emory University at North Druid Hills and I-85. Those were originally mostly low rise office buildings. I worked in one when they were almost brand new uh, when I graduated from Emory University, Harvard of the South. And that was 1976. Uh, since then, the whole place has, well, it, it's now much more desirable as residential than as uh, a corporate campus, so to speak. And so who has bought over there? Well, Emory has bought and apartment companies have bought. And they're building class A apartments to beat the band. Uh, they're well located in the market. They're typically professionally managed and they demand the highest rent. There is almost no deferred maintenance issues. I mean, everything's brand new. It is beautiful. And if you're willing to pay for that, that is a class A property. Now I wanna to go to class C because I think we all agree what a class A property is, but let's go to class C real quick. A class C property is tip, and by the way, this doesn't have to be apartments. This can be a detached single family home. It can be a four unit building. It could be a duplex or a triplex. Uh, generally, Class A properties are not suitable for rental unless they, it's zoned multifamily. In other words, typically you would not build a duplex for the purpose of renting out because you could sell it more for more as a single family residence than you could as a duplex. Um, so in Class C, your competition begins to include a lot of single family homes older properties, they're located in, in less than super desirable locations. So what is a super desirable location? Dunwoody, Johns Creek, Buckhead. These are super desirable locations, Midtown, um, right near Emory. Uh, these, these are super desirable. And you're not going to find much in the way of Class C properties there. However, uh, there are plenty of Class C out there. They are generally in need of some renovation. 
They need to update the building infrastructure to bring it, bring it up to date. I sold a property recently that did not originally have air conditioning. It had originally 60 amp service. Now, when it was built, that was fine. The, the house that I am speaking to you from on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire, this home was built in uh, January 31st, 1944, while our boys were still at war. Okay. So I'm just telling you, uh, a Class C property may, I mean, St. Simons is a pretty desirable location. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure I'd call it Class C, but it's, you know, this house could use a complete renovation. We did put a new roof on it last year, but you sort of hate to throw good money after bad. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, um, updating the infrastructure. As a result, Class C buildings tend to have the lowest rental rates in a market with other Class A or Class B properties. Some Class C properties need sig uh, significant reposting. I think that means repositioning. Reposting? I don't know what reposting means to get to steady cash flows for investors. Uh, maybe that means repositioning. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Now, we now know what a Class A property is, and we know what a Class C property is. I would submit to you that a Class B property is everything in between. So let's go back. If you don't know what it is, it's probably Class B. Does that make sense? Good. Uh, let's go look at Class B then. These properties are one step down from Class A and one step up from Class C. Um, they're generally older. They tend to have lower income tenants and they may or may not be professionally managed. Rental income is typically lower than class A and there may be some deferred maintenance issues. Mostly these buildings are well-maintained and many investors see these as value add investment opportunities because the properties can be upgraded from B plus to A. Um, you or maybe just up to B plus from B minus <clears throat> through renovations and improvements to common areas. In other words, it has a pool, but the pool hasn't worked for 10 years. And you buy the property or you take over manage of the property, you start cutting back all the bushes. Uh, next thing you know, you've got the um, parking lot looking better. You've gotten rid of the ancient uh, dead automobiles that have been there for five years. Um, you've thrown out a couple of bad tenants that were causing trouble. And um, you got the pool working again. And all of a sudden, the whole place is taking on a sunnier disposition. And that's what I call a class B property. Now, listen to this. Buyers that's you, are generally able to acquire these properties at a higher cap rate. And we're not going to go into cap rate because I think it's an artificial backwards measurement, but let's just say a higher yield or a higher profitability 
than a comparable class A property because these properties are viewed as riskier than class A. I would submit to you that they're not riskier than class A, especially in the current environment. So what I think we're looking for is class C properties, okay, that have been poorly managed. This is one reason, and by the way, this applies to single family homes just as easily as it does to multifamily. Um, I need to know what time it is. I, I can't tell. Yes, you are. I, I don't have, I'm completely disconnected from the world here. Uh, I'm going to try to look. Nope, can't tell by looking down there. 1125. Okay. Well, I want you to begin thinking about class A, B, and C properties because I, I'm about to share with you a scenario that I think is unfolding in our economy and how it affects you and how it affects me. And it's going to have to do with this A, B, or C ranking. And I know anytime anybody says class A property, immediately you start thinking commercial. I don't want you to think commercial. I want you to stay on the residential side and I want you to open your mind. Open your mind. What was that in? Oh, that was that Mars movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. What well, a total recall. That was a pretty good movie. That was a long time ago. Quato uh, or Quatu or whatever the mutant's name was was talking to Arnold Schwarzenegger and said, open your mind, open your mind to me. So anyway, I want you to open your mind to me. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. Watch this. I'm just going to like put a clock on it. It's there. Maybe it's not there. Nope, not there anymore. <laughs> you know, this story of my life today, I can't. There's no clock on my phone. There used to be a clock. I know, but I can't see that small. No clock. Can't have everything. Okay. So here we go. Um, what does all this mean for us? It is important for you and me as investors to understand that each class of property represents a different level of risk and reward. And what I'm suggesting to you is the people that swim in the class A pool are mostly cash heavy investors who are in for 50 years and really aren't that concerned about yield. Now, why would that be? Why would an insurance company accept a low yield on a class A property? Because it is more than likely a sure thing. And why do insurance companies want a sure thing? It's because they are betting against you every month. You're betting that you're going to die but they know you're not going to die. How do they know that you're not going to die? Well, that's a science called, I never can remember the name. 
Margie, what is the science of studying when people are going to die? Actuarial science. Thank you. An actuary is somebody who knows statistically when you are going to die. Now, don't worry, it's not you. It is a group of 100 people. It is a group of 1,000 people. This is how insurance companies work. If they have 1,000 insured people, they can create a profile of those 1,000 people and say, how many are going to die when statistically? They don't know which one individually, but they do know statistically. And this branch of science called actuarial science has gotten much more accurate over the years as computers have learned to crunch data a lot better. And so the insurance company every month is accepting a bet. You are sending them money every month saying, I'm going to die this month. And if I do, I'll send you $100. And if I die, I want you to give my survivors 50,000 bucks. Pretty good deal for you, right? Only cost you 100 bucks to buy the insurance for that month. And if you hit the jackpot and die, you've left your heirs $50,000. That's a pretty good deal, okay? But the real winner here is the insurance company because they know you're not going to die. Now, they know that eventually you will die, but they know exactly when. You got it? And so their job is to plan to have the money ready when you do die. Not to be ready to pay it tomorrow because you're not going to die tomorrow. You're probably going to die when you are 78 to 85 statistically. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not an actuary, so I don't know, but they know. You take a group of a thousand and, and they will break it into this percentage will die in this year, this percent. And so the insurance company has to have the money available, but they don't need to make much on it. Why? Because they know there will be inflation. Why is there going to be inflation? in 25 or 30 years, because that's the way government works. Okay, so what do insurance companies do? You send them a hundred bucks, they know they're not gonna need to give you 50,000 for another 40 years. What do they do with it? They gotta do something with it. They invest in class A real estate. It is safe, it is secure, it tends to go up in value, and it produces an extremely steady stream of income with very low expenses and very low vacancy rate. So you're competing. If you want class A property, which I know you do, you're competing with somebody who has unlimited cash and very low expectations. And I don't want to play that game. I don't want to compete with the insurance companies. They've got a pretty sweet deal. You know why you never hear about insurance companies going belly up? 
it's because of inflation and actuarial science. And so what happens is by the time um, you get around to dying in 40 years, they've amassed this huge amount of money based on the $100 a month you sent them for the last 40 years. Okay? And they've got plenty. And they've got more than they need. Why do you think um, insurance rates have been declining? And they really have been seriously declining, particularly on term policies. It's because we're living longer and healthier lives. Thanks, medicine. Here I was hoping to cash in on my insurance policy by dying. It dawned on me one time that Margie was gonna be better off with me dead than alive. I quick canceled some insurance policy. But in any case, Class A provides investors with more security by knowing that they are investing in top tier properties with little or no outstanding issues requiring further capital expenditures. That's ideal for an insurance company but I don't wanna be competing with them, okay? So let's talk about risk and reward here. Class B and C properties tend to be bought and sold at higher cap rates. Now that's short for capitalization rate, which is the yield you would make if you paid cash for the investment. Now, most people don't pay cash for the investment. I don't, you don't, but insurance companies often do because they've got loads of cash and they need to invest it, even if it's just a low yield. And that's exactly what happens with class A properties. B and C on the other hand are considered too risky for insurance companies and they're ideal for you and me because by taking on what is perceived to be an additional risk in an older property with lower income tenants. And by the way, that lower income doesn't necessarily mean low income, okay? It, it simply means lower income than class A properties. Um, then you get a higher yield. And if you couple that yield with leverage, which you can do pretty easily, then all of a sudden you are into a, a very high yielding investment. And what I'm predicting is that you and I should be looking at C plus or B minus properties that we can move into a B. Um, Ian Robbins and I recently invested in a property that I would call a C minus property. Margie, would you call that a C or a C minus? She is preparing my smoked rib luncheon. Um, I would call it C minus. It was awful. It smelled bad, it looked bad, it had a lot of deferred maintenance. The lady that lived there had lived there for a number of years. She had a number of cats, the cats didn't go outside. 
blah, 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 blah. I mean, it just stunk. I went through that house when I bought it and all the way home, I smelled of cat urine. I didn't touch anything. It just got in my clothes. It was awful. I had to scrub down with lava when I got home. Anyway, um, that was a C minus. And we were able to bring that up to a class A minus and sold it for top dollar this past spring. And I have to thank Pam Lanshev of EXP Realty, who did a great job as per usual. So the bottom line here is that the property class that you and I choose can have a great deal of influence on the stability of an investment over time, as well as its growth appreciation and appreciation potential. If you are an investor simply looking for capital preservation, and that's what insurance companies are trying to do. They're not worried about growing the money. They're going to let the government shrink the value of the dollar over a long period of time because why? That's the way government works. They don't have to have uh, growth. They just want to preserve the capital. But for investors like you and me who are looking for capital appreciation, for leverage, for growth, for income, class B and C may be better investments for that specific profile. Okay, that's the bottom line for today. And that's what I want you to think about. So what do we do now to profit during the recession that we are in right now? And by the way, I'm predicting at the end of July, when the Federal Reserve does release the GDP figures, we're going to find out that we have been in a mild recession. What do we do? Well, here are some ideas what you should be doing right now. Write these down. Kids, write these down. You need this. Number one, and boy, is this easy right now. Stay full. If you have any vacancies, you're crazy. You are throwing, you are flushing money. I don't care if the property is in bad condition. Now, the worst scenario is if you got caught with your pants down, you don't have access to any cash, you can't do any maintenance, and the property is almost unrentable. And some people get caught in that position. You shouldn't. But if you did, you need to seek out a money supply and get somebody to loan you some money, even if it's hard money, even if it's 15 or 20 percent, so you can get that property back to a minimum condition that you can rent it and then pay that money back. But stay full. That's number one. Number two, raise rents. Listen to me. I'm going to be on Fox 5 this Tuesday. Guess what I'm talking about? I'm going to be talking about the phenomenon that we are now seeing in rentals where people are bidding 
over and above the asking rental price because getting a rental in metro Atlanta, Georgia, and elsewhere in these United States is becoming more and more competitive. As people are pushed out of the home buying market, 4 million prospective buyers since January have been disqualified by rising interest rates. They can no longer afford a loan. They have to rent and they'll pay whatever it costs. And they're not moving back in with their parents again. They finally had it and the parents have had it and they've gotten married. Now they've had a baby and they don't know what to do. So they have gotten involved in bidding wars. Raise your rents. And I would remind you that Peter Burke has a copy of the nice rent increase letter, which I used four times this past week. One, two, three, four times. You should go through every rental property and say, what should this rent be? Guess how many rejections I had out of the four? Zero. Okay. Ian, we ought to do a, um, a program on how to tell what rent ought to be. But I got news. There's nothing under $1,000. There is nothing under $1,000, even in one bedrooms, hardly out there. Okay, number three, stay in class B. Do not accidentally move up to class A because your yield, your cap rate, will decline. Don't accidentally put in gold uh, plumbing fixtures. Nobody's gonna pay you a penny more and you will have spent all that money so you can say, well, look, this is class A. I have solid 24 karat gold plumbing fixtures. Look at this solid gold toilet. It doesn't matter. You're gonna get a better return in class B or B plus than you will in A or A minus. Number four, stay liquid. This is a precautionary recommendation because I want you in the event something un unexpected happens, I don't want you to get caught with your pants down. So everybody said to me recently, John, what are you doing? I'm looking for bargains and I'm gonna tell you where I'm gonna get them. I'll get them from people who didn't stay liquid and found out that they had to have a new roof and they didn't have the money. And they thought the roof was gonna cost $3,000 and instead it's gonna cost $7,000. Okay. Those of you who are, have very little liquidity and lots of real estate, you need to call Peter Burke immediately and say, let's talk about refinancing. Um, have it, it, the lowest rates are in the rear view men, window. We're not going to see those, but I'm telling you the rates that are available today, especially since interest rates turned down just a little bit this past week. Um, these are pretty good rates. So 
stay liquid. And if you need to refinance and pull some cash out, who's going to pay that back? The tenant. That's exactly right. By the way, raise the rent while you're at it. And number five, look for bargain C properties. So in a nutshell, there are going to be people that own C or C minus properties who didn't follow my advice on number four. And they let their deferred maintenance uh, overtake them. They don't have the money. They put it on credit cards. They're paying 30%. I hope you're not one of those people. But if you are, you may need to sell and you may need to sell in a big way. And if you do, there'll be people like me that are ready to buy. Because I know I can take that property, do a really nice job, and bring it up to a good solid B property. Not an A, not even a B plus, but a B. I can get my rents up, I get values up, and I'm paying back all that debt, and I'm feeling real good about it. Peter, this would be a good time for Peter if I can find where Peter is here. No, I'm glad you're bringing him. I want to, um, here we go. Let's talk just a little bit about some of the things that Peter has to offer. Hello, Peter Burke. How are you, my friend? Good morning, everyone. Um, Peter, the Atlanta Federal Reserve Bank <clears throat> produces a preliminary estimate to quarterly GDP, and they come out with it uh, very quickly in the week immediately following each quarterly period. Mm -hmm. And in the first quarter, GDP was down 1.2%, and they are suggesting that in the second quarter, which number we will actually find out at the end of this month, Atlanta Fed is suggesting it's going to be down 1.2%, which technically means we are in a recession, which doesn't necessarily mean really much of anything. Mm -hmm. um, but... A lot of people are nervous right now. And when people get nervous, they tend to sort of retract. And sometimes I think we miss opportunities because we feel like, well, this isn't a normal time. And I would ask you, is this the first time we have ever experienced a recession? No, but you, I, I agree with you that when you're nervous, you lack self-confidence. And when you lack self-confidence, using an example, it's uh, increasing rents. You, you have a fear of rejection. And you're it's a self-fulfilling right. prophecy. It is. It is. And I'm assuming... I, I went out on, on a very thin limb. And as you know, I am no longer the spring chicken that I was. 
when you and I first met. <clears throat> I have added some seasoning along the way, among other things. By the way, we are having smoked um, um, smoked pork ribs, St. Louis cut, this afternoon, and I've had some already, and they are delicious. Very good. And they're bad for me, and I don't care. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Mm -hmm. I've been through several 12-step programs, people. <laughs> it's getting past that first step that's always the killer. It is. The first step is slow down eating. And I, that, that kills me. But um, you have available for people today a copy of a letter that you and I put together. It's just a suggested letter, but it is designed to suggest that we're, we have to raise the rent, not because we want to, but because of incre significant increases in taxes, insurance, maintenance costs, repairs, and other expenses. Absolutely. And I sent out four of those last week thinking I would get pushback. Nothing, zero, nothing. And all of them said, we understand. They've been to the gas pump. They've been to the grocery store. They know that my taxes are up. My insurance is up. My maintenance costs are up. And I can't absorb those. All I can do is pass them on to the tenants. Correct. It's a business. Run it like it is, a business. It, I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of people, Peter, treat real estate investing almost like it's a hobby. Yeah. And if you do that, I mean, you certainly can. I know people that have beautiful, beautiful automobiles a vintage automobiles that they just pour tremendous amounts of money into. And if they have the funds and they choose to do that, God bless them. I enjoy seeing the Model T. Uh, it's, it's amazing to me that any of those are still operational, but they are. And it's, that's a labor of love. I don't see my real estate as a labor of love. I see it as I want it to pay me. Correct. And this is where Peter Burke and Reliant Mortgage Solutions can be of help. If somebody called you today and said, could I please get a copy of the nice rent increase letter? Can you provide that to them? I can nicely do that. And, and when they're talking with you, if they were curious about maybe wanting to refinance. I know that lower rates are now in the rear view mirror. That's beside the point. Today's rates are pretty good. Rates have, have, um, Moderate. have notched downward and they seem to be quietly staying there. There isn't a lot of freneticism in the interest rates these days, which is good. Um, for those of you from Smyrna, I'm going to, uh, Peter used a 
six syllable, we call that a sexosyllabic word. Phrenetism. Oh, that's that's a pentasyllabic word. I think phreneticism is nutty crazy. There's no nut, there's no nutty, nutty there's craziness. No nutty craziness going on, which is, you know, we can all stop and take a breath, but this would be a very good time, in my opinion, for the folks that that uh, are, are uh, watching and listening right now. Um, to just give you a call and say, hey, by the way, I'd like to get a, a copy of that nice rental increase letter. And at the same time, let's talk about some liquidity here because uh, this, frankly, it's a no brainer to look at not finding yourself in trouble, but instead having access to the funds you need to keep yourself 100% occupied. Right. And I just would encourage people to do that today. Um, as we said, when we started this conversation, this is not the first recession we've ever had. This too, if it proves that we are in fact in a recession, one, I think it's reasonably mild. I think we have already seen some reaction um, to an increase in interest rates by the Federal Reserve. And I am hopeful that an additional 75 basis point jump may calm things down a little bit. We need to shake out some inflationary expectations. But it's in, I, I do see that the economy I mean, look at the jobs number. That's pretty strong. Yes. And and when we're creating that many jobs, um, I think that means there's still strength in this economy. And I think we are still recovering from the pandemic. Margie and I went to lunch yesterday at B&J Steaks and Fresh Seafood in Darien, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And Peter, they were packed. And yeah. we go there right regular, and I have not seen it like that in two years. There's been a pivot to uh, getting out, although it might be somewhat muted with gas prices, but there's definitely been a pivot from shopping at Walmart and Target. I was reading Walmart and Target have some overstock issues because consumers are spending their dollars traveling and being out. Very interesting. Well, the other thing that I was interested in is regardless of what Dr. Fauci has to say, um, at B&J Steaks and Seafood in Darien, Georgia, nobody had a mask on. Not a single person. And there's usually one person who just doesn't want anybody to see their face and they'll wear one even though they don't need it. There was nobody yesterday. And I think the pandemic mentality is beginning to fade from the public consciousness. Yes. Although I miss the quiet streets and roads. 
Margie said the other day we went at uh, we went for a afternoon libation at about five thirty, and the the bar was packed. We couldn't get up to the bar, and Margie said, "Oh, for the pandemic, where we could just go up. There was nobody there." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that wasn't realistic, but I I think there's going to be some opportunities for people who would like to expand their portfolios and i think before they consider that they should pick up the phone and call you at 678-557-9759 get a copy of that free nice rent increase letter and talk about starting a conversation peter what do you think go for it uh commit yourself to raising rents make that your personal goal Sounds great to me. Peter, have a wonderful week. As always, we appreciate your support and we look forward to having you back real soon. Absolutely. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Peter Burke, 678-557-9759. Once again, I have to check what time it is and it is 1157. So that being the case, I'm going to go ahead and we're gonna have our intermission right now. During the intermission, I want you to be thinking about um, class A, B, and C properties and how that applies to single family, how it applies to duplex, triplex, and quads. Because remember, those of you who are getting started and a significant number of the people that, that come to this program are just getting started. FHA loans, which are right now among the easiest to obtain, are available for one, two, three, and four unit properties. And more than a few people got started by getting a duplex or a triplex or a four unit building under the FHA program and moving into one of the units. It's a tried and true formula. And that's where your financing gets to be relatively easy. Okay, we're gonna take a very short break now. I'm gonna get a fresh cup of coffee. I'm gonna have, wait a minute. Oh, we're also brought to you by um, EXP Mortgage. And if, I'm not EXP Mortgage, EXP Realty. Um, many of you know that I have placed my license with EXP. It is the fastest growing real estate company in the world. 82,000 agents worldwide. And it is a tremendous resource for us. And I would love to uh, share with you if you are a licensee of the Georgia Real Estate Commission, or if you're thinking about getting a license, um, go to partnerwithjohnadams.com. There you'll see how you can contact me and I'll be happy to call you back and we'll talk about why I chose EXP and whether or not it might be right for you. It's not right for everybody, but if you are an independent-minded person who is serious about making the most money possible as a real estate licensee, then you need to at least know about eXp Realty, okay? 
So go to partnerwithjohnadams.com. I'm trying to get to the intermission and I'm not having any luck. First, I'm going to click here. Okay, and then I'm gonna go like this. That didn't work. So in that case, I'm going to have to, oh, now I know why that did not work. Okay, I'll come right over here and I'll go right down to here and we're gonna to go to 95 and here it is. We're gonna hit slideshow and in light of the A, B and C rankings of property that we talked about, um, I want to just remind you folks that over the next 12 months, I think there's going to be some um, real opportunities. I'm going to, uh, by the way, if you have a question, put it in Q&A. We have lots um, of folks who have put um, let's see, put comments in. I guess that's right. Um, in any case, all right, well, let's, let's get back to basics here. And that's not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. And this is what I want. Uh, the first thing I would remind you is that it is time to focus on getting a real estate education. Now, a lot of you people, I know who you are, and a lot of you people are saying, John, I've been doing this as long as you have. I have been, I started coming to your stuff back in 1988 or something like that when we wrote the first survival guide. Um, and, and, I don't know when the first, I mean, I was doing the radio show and all that stuff. And a lot of you people have been with me a long time. This has been a great ride. Okay. And it ain't over yet, but don't tell me you don't need education. Don't tell me that you don't need a strategy for getting back into this game, because I think you do. Now, maybe you don't, but don't fall victim to the $25,000 trip to Las Vegas, stay at the home of a guru. You know, for $25,000, you could come sleep with me and Margie. Well, maybe we'd have to raise that. I'd, we'll talk about it. If you're interested, we'll, we'll talk about that. But you do need an up-to-date education and you need to get back to basics. And that's one of the things I'm real good at is helping you focus on things that make money and not focusing on distractions and shiny objects and things that, that are a waste of your time. They may be fine for somebody, but you need to focus on doing two things. You need to see a lot of houses and you need to make a lot of offers. And I can teach you how to do that. Number two, you need to build, this is so important, a team of professionals. I think perhaps the most important person on that team may be your financing source. 
the money. Where are you going to get the money to do this thing? Because while, yes, you can occasionally find an investment that requires little or no cash, I think, in fact, it's going to take a little bit. It's going to take some, and you don't want it to be yours necessarily. Now, if you're in a position, as I hope you are, that you have access to funds in your retirement account, then that's a whole nother story as to whether or not you should do that. Generally speaking, I like to have a separation between my retirement investing and my real estate, but there are times when it makes sense to cross over. But for most people, especially in the earlier years of your investing career, you are probably going to be continuing to work at a day job and you are probably going to need to borrow some money to pay for the bulk of your investments. Fortunately, Peter Burke has been doing this for years and years and years. And he's a great person to talk to. Um, and by the way, I would remind you that there is a one-two punch in investment real estate called hard money to permanent, short-term to permanent. Short-term is the money that you borrow to acquire the property and then to pay to fix it up to get it from a C minus or a C status solidly up to a B or a B plus. And Peter has a program called Discover Loans that you need to learn more about. And Discover Loans can be anywhere from six months in duration to 30 years. They are a, typically a better bargain than hard money loans. And these are these are a class of loans that Peter calls debt service coverage ratio. And he has named this brand the Discover Loan. And you need to know that Peter has these available. And a Discover Loan for a short term coupled with a long-term permanent financing is that one-two punch I'm talking about. So that's something you need to be thinking about. But your team of professionals, it's going to have a investor-friendly realtor. It's going to have a contractor. It's going to have an attorney. It's going to have an accountant. All of these people are, it's like a football team and you are the quarterback. You have to make all these decisions, but it's up to all these other people to uh, share with you their area of expertise. I can't tell you how much it has helped me over the years to have spent a lot of time in, in my early investment career working with attorneys. They taught me to think like an attorney. They taught me, if you don't know what the contract means, read it out loud, slowly, and see if it doesn't start to make sense to you, because it does. And gave me a real, and one of those people was Seth Weissman. And that's why I uh, 
to this day am thankful to him for his contribution to my, I'm no attorney. I, I never went to law school, but what I did was I spent enough time around attorneys to learn how to approach it and to know the difference between what I think it means and what they think it means and to know when to bring in an attorney. Okay. But these are just some of the people that are going to be in your team of professionals. And to the extent that you get a good education and create and maintain a team of professionals, you will have more or less success as time goes by. Number three is a credit and cash financial analysis. And this is so critical. You need to know where you are right now. You need to know what you could borrow if you needed to and where you would get it. And again, that goes right back to having that lender standing ready, willing, and able to talk to you about it at no cost to you um, so that you know what your options are. And until you know that, I don't think you're ready to, to move ahead. Number four, you need to get and use insider information. And by the way, it's not only not illegal in real estate to use insider information, it is encouraged to use insider information. Find out where, at least you think, the growth is going to be over the next 10 to 15 years I know it's a guess, nobody knows for sure, but the Atlanta Regional Commission has some ideas and you might wanna contact them and ask for their most recent study of future growth in the Metro Atlanta area. They spend a lot of time and effort on this. The Atlanta Federal Reserve has a lot of good studies. Can, are these guaranteed? Absolutely not. But if you found out that there was a new automobile assembly plant where they were gonna be building electric vehicles and they were gonna employ six or 700 people at relatively high paying jobs, wouldn't you want to own a home in that area? Well, guess what? It's called Social Circle and the name of the company is Rivian. Is it too late? I don't know. I haven't been looking. I should, I think I'll go look this afternoon. Get and use insider information. That means subscribing to the Wall Street Journal. It means subscribing to the Atlanta Business Chronicle. Thank goodness for George Kelichek, who sends me about once a week a copy of the AJC, or I'd never see that. And he has single-handedly kept me up to date on this scam series, this, this, trash journalism series that blames apartment owners for the tenants having crime problems. Sure, yeah, the, the apartment owner comes in and says, I'd like to increase the crime problem here. They accused owners of going and dumping garbage on the property. I don't think so. I think the tenants did that. I'm sorry, if you've got rats, it's because you are not properly disposing of your garbage. Don't 
Oh, yeah, yeah. They referred to Section 8 as landlord subsidies for crying out loud. Subsidy? You want to know why I'm not doing Section 8? I don't want to put up with that stuff. I don't want to put up with their phonus T. balonus inspections that they have once a year. I don't want to put up with their high-handed attitude of we're the government, you have to use our lease, and you have to do everything we say, and it's our way or the highway, okay? I'll take the highway. Had to get on my soapbox there for a minute. I think you need to choose a target location, and there are so many good locations. Georgia is blessed to be in the Sun Belt, we're blessed to be in a right-to-work state. We're blessed to be in a state where there's just no possibility of rent control. Um, the progressive real estate movement every year tries to get the Georgia legislature to consider doing something crazy, and they just don't do it, um, which, thank goodness, that's the case. But Choose a target location and immerse yourself in that. Maybe that's Athens, or maybe that's the west side of Athens or the east side of Gwinnett. Maybe that's south of town um, towards McDonough. Maybe that's north of town in Cherokee County or beyond. Um, although I don't see how it could much grow much faster than it already is. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, one sleeper area I'm convinced you need to be thinking about is west of town, Douglasville, Austell, beyond Douglasville, out I-20. It's a lot of activity out there. And uh, just telling you, something to think about. Target location, and then you need to conduct a rent survey. And a rent survey is pretty easy. This is where you simply find out uh, from the county who the owner is of every parcel of land in a neighborhood. So let's say you have 100 houses in this little subdivision, and you think you'd sort of like to own a house there, and it's in a reasonable price range and so forth. And the way you conduct a rent survey is you go on the computer, almost every county in Georgia will now allow you to pull up a list of every house on the street and the mailing address of the owner. And if the property address is 233 Sycamore Street, Austell, Georgia, but the mailing address is P.O. Box 1022 Macon, Georgia, that probably means that there's an investor in Macon, Georgia, who owns that property. And I would simply make a list of every property in that subdivision that where there is a disparity between the property address and the mailing address for taxes. And I would either knock on the door, that's the most effective thing to do on a Saturday, put on khaki pants and a khaki shirt 
get a clipboard and a legal pad and go knock on the door and say you're conducting a survey and that you'll pay $5 if they'll answer five questions. And they'll say yes, say it'll only take 90 seconds. Number one, do you own or rent? That's what you, that's the first thing you need to know. If they say they own, say, have you considered moving anytime in the next three, two to three years? Um, and if they say no, say, do you know anyone in this community that may be considering moving? And then finally ask, do you know of any rental properties in this community? Does anybody here that you know rent? And then give them five bucks and you're done. So out of 100 houses, you may have 25 that have uh, address disparities. And so now you're out 125 bucks if they're all at home and they're not all going to be at home. Okay, that's the way a rent survey works. You find out what things are rented for. Number seven, decide on your strategy. Are you somebody who wants to fix and flip? Do you prefer to work foreclosures? Do you want to wholesale where you find opportunities and flip them just for a few thousand dollars, maybe 5,000 bucks to another investor? Are you a buy and hold investor? That's what I am. I want to hold forever. Okay, and just decide on your strategy and then you should find and detail what would be for you the ideal detached single family property. There needs to be a picture of it in your mind and there needs to be a description of it. Here is the ideal location or locations. Here's the ideal size. Here's the ideal price range. Here's the ideal rental range. Blah, 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 blah. So that when you meet with your investor-friendly real estate agent, you can say, here is what I'm looking for. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly like this, but it, the more of these parameters it hits, the more likely I am to buy it. And if you find it for me, not only will you earn a commission <clears throat> as I buy it, but when I go to sell it, I'm going to try to sell it through you. I can't guarantee that because I don't know the circumstances, but if possible, I want to sell it through you. May not sell for many, many years. May want to sell it quickly. May want to fix it up and sell it, depending on the neighborhood, okay? And then last but not least, manage the property like a professional. These are the steps to real estate investing. And I sure would hope that you would follow these. It is 1224. I'm still looking for my friend Ian Robbins. Margie, whatever happened to Ian? I haven't seen him. I'm going to stop sharing so that he and I can. I see his I see his window, but I don't see him. He must have gotten bored and muted himself. And hey, Hi, there he is. Dr. Ian Robbins, senior fellow and distinguished research professor 
at the Atlanta-based nonprofit Institute for Real Estate Policy and Moving. Hello, Ian. How are you? John, I'm excited that you're going to be on Fox 5. Did you say this Tuesday? Tuesday morning at, I hope, 8.20 a.m. Um, the computer problem we had today does not bode well for my appearance on Fox 5. Fortunately, we have numerous platforms available, uh, which we can use, including the one that I'm on right now. But um, I'm, I'm so embarrassed that we completely fell apart. I have always heard about the blue screen of death, but I didn't know exactly what it meant until this morning. And it hit me, Ian, twice. I went to share the slides and this whole screen went blue. And then it said, we've encountered a little problem. <laughs> but you know, John, you were prepared just like a good Boy Scout that you are and also an Eagle Scout. What they say, be prepared. And you had extra computers around. So it that worked we out. Have, buddy, we got computers. Just apparently most of them are ancient. I've always said that Margie and I um, try to stay on the trailing edge of computer evolution. So as other people are trading in their machines, um, we're buying theirs refurbished and saving a lot of money. By the way, I need to let you know for the first time in my life, I am buying an Apple iPhone 12. Wow, I'll tell you what, all the millennials listening right now are very impressed because my daughter will always tell me I have the wrong phone and an iPhone 12, is it 12 that they're up to, or aren't they a little no, higher? No, 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 no. As, as is my custom, the 12 is the trailing edge. The iPhone 13 is the cutting edge, and it costs like $7,000. But <laughs> everybody is rushing to get rid of their 12 and trading it in on a 13. So it turns out you can get a pretty good deal on a 12, comparatively speaking. And the 13 has something that the 12 doesn't, but I couldn't use that anyway because I don't know how. So I think I better stick with the 12. What do you think? John, I think that's a wise decision and always getting a good deal and teaching the, the, uh, the audience how to save money all different ways. I got a couple of comments on something you said earlier this last Please. hour. It's okay. Absolutely. I just wanted to uh, let you know that earlier this hour, I was, dressed a little different. I was looking at a building and a very interesting place that had to do with A, B, and C properties. Yes, I was sir. in a place called Atlantic Station. And what's interesting about that is that um, here's a, a, you talk about vision. This was an area that was undeveloped, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And now That's it's right. a, That's right. one of the bigger cities in Georgia. And what's amazing is the mix. Um, Definitely a properties of residential, but then also what was interesting was uh, a plus uh, offices and then so many different restaurants. What was interesting too is how it was catered to uh, a younger crowd and the workforce there because there was a building for Microsoft and a building for Google. And so I felt that it was uh, just, just about good real estate vision. Of course, a big investment, and uh, it's paying off. You know, it's interesting because I watched with amazement 
uh, I wasn't smart enough to recognize that what had happened around Emory University was probably going to happen around Georgia Tech. And if I'd had any sense at all, I'd have figured that out and been able to participate. But I kept going down to that area north of Georgia Tech and south of Atlantic Station and seeing, you know, there's a lot of old houses in there. And people were buying them for what I thought was outrageous prices, saying what a great location. And this was before Atlantic Station opened. And so I'm looking around saying, you know, why would anybody want to live here? Well, that was before Ikea opened, which is open. Ikea is amazing to me because I guess they open at eight o'clock and there's already a line of 10,000 people to get in there. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Atlantic Station, one of the classiest developments, I think, to hit Atlanta in many years. And I completely... I didn't underestimate it. I failed to estimate it at all. And I think there are a lot of people who bought property in that area and still own it and have done exceedingly well. But you're right, that Atlantic Station, talk about A-plus property, uh, Google, Microsoft, and um, is it, who's the big bank? Is it South Trust that's there? Um, actually, you know what? It was BB&T, I believe, is up yeah, there. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, BB&T. A huge presence there, and I think smart to be in that location, especially since it gives them great access to that class of, of customer uh, right there. But um, it, it, it is interesting to think about the different classes of property, Um were, did you think I was on target or did you have a different idea in terms of the ABC class of properties? Would you own an A-class property? No, John, I think you're exactly right. You said that the yield was not as uh, good. You have a high demand tenant, which is fine. They should be for that type of money. But if you could bring a C to a B and get that, which you taught us many years ago and still teaches that um, midline uh, tenant, uh, that sweet spot, you're going to have abundance of tenants and you're, you're not overdoing it. I laughed out loud. As they say today, when you talked about the gold toilet, I um, try not to buy the gold toilet. I'm sure there's a toilet now that you could use your cell phone or something. But John, I want to <laughs> I, I want to ask you a question and uh, maybe a little preview to what you'll be doing on, on Fox 5, if you don't mind, because, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this bidding for rental properties. And just a couple of comments I'd love to get your thoughts on. I, I hear that and this show and the Landlord Survival Guide is totally into maximizing our audience's um, rent. Do you agree? You know, it's, uh, I have never seen demand in 40 years of doing this. I have never seen demand for first ownership so high, I think that has cooled. I know it has cooled some since the earlier part of the year. We're not seeing, as Peter Burke said, the frenetic or, or frenzied 
uh, rush to buy. And I think it's partly because a lot of people have been priced out of the market. But where have they gone? Four million people, people, prospective home buyers, have been disqualified since January simply because of interest rate increases. That doesn't mean those people don't have to live somewhere. So they're just shuttled into the rental market. And so we're beginning to see these um, bidding wars in rentals. And I've never seen that before in my life. And John, neither have I. But I have to say this, and I, I got to be careful because I don't know it all about fair housing, but I know this. Let's take a scenario. You have a house and it rents for $1,300 and somebody from Saturn comes along and wants it. And somebody from Mars comes along and wants the same house and you give it to the person from Mars, but they pay $1,400. Well, the person from Saturn doesn't see it that way. They say that because they're from Saturn, you discriminated and they file a fair housing complaint because of Saturn people being a protected class. To me, that they, they might have a, why did you rent it to that other person? And the answer, of course, is money, but they don't see it that way. They think it's because they're from Saturn. So here's what I would think. I realized maybe because of your experience in real estate, what I would do is, number one, have a procedure in writing before I even started. And my procedure would say, when I get two or three qualified people for my other criteria in place, rental income, uh, credit, and um, uh, I'm sorry, rental history, income and credit. And let's say I have two or three qualified renters. Then I would send them a note and say, listen, in the next 24 hours, you need to submit your highest and best, stealing from the real estate purchase world. And in 48 hours, I'll take the highest, I'll make a decision. How do you feel about that? I'm still raising the rent, but I'm treating everybody the same at a certain level after the first pre-qualification. I don't know. I, yeah, I like that. Uh, however, the likelihood of the Department of Housing and Urban Development to bring forward a case that did not, I mean, it would have to really be straightforward. For, for example, as you know, my policy is I refuse to rent to anyone from Mars. Uh, they smell funny. They smell like boiled cabbage. They all have small hands. They're like carnival people. I don't, I, I just don't rent to people from Mars. Now that is, um, uh, it's not racist, it's planetist. And, and so I would be guilty of violating fair housing laws. But in my understanding, HUD has been in recent years, less likely to pursue a case involving alleged discrimination where it focused strictly on money. And, and it's because um, I think it's harder for them to win. I think there is a realization among even progressive individuals that the 
the um, the hidden hand, if you will, the the artificial involvement of capitalism is going to always seek to get the highest rate of return possible regardless. And you and I both know that racism does exist and it is despicable in my opinion. I don't countenance it in any way, shape or form. And I'm not so naive as to suggest that there is no racism. However, I also know an awful lot of people in the real estate business, and I think the vast majority of them are motivated much more by financial goals and incentives than by ulterior motives, which may or may not be legal. I like the idea that you are going and adopting the highest and best model. Um, however, remember that the, the federal, both the courts and HUD have recognized in writing that all applications are not equal and that it is allowable for the landlord to, or the um, property manager to take into consideration a variety of factors to make their final decision. And, and John, I, and I appreciate all that and I agree wholeheartedly, but my biggest thing has always been, if you look it up and I hope the audience does, just go to HUD, go to Google or just put fair housing form. And my biggest challenge with it, and I understand it, I, I, I too look at the challenge is it's free. Somebody can say that we're wearing red ties today, we discriminated because they, don't like red and therefore they didn't whatever they didn't rent too much because um we, we don't like red ties whatever the point is is that because it's a free um free way to do a complaint they're going to find anything they can so here here's my question i'm agreeing with everything you're saying how do you do a bid for a rental property uh, i want to maximize my money Let's, let's say uh, we advertise it on all these different websites for $1,300. And then you get 100 calls a week, which I get. Not too hard to do today. What do you do? How do you provide a bid scenario and not have a fair housing claim at the same time? Two, two suggestions. Um, one is you adopt the position of our friend Steve Nelson at Excalibur Homes and you begin by saying, we are not the owners. We are, we're, we are not the, we're, we're just the property managers, okay? And the final decision will be made by the owner, um, which gets a little bit of the burden off me. The second is I want to be able to, um, look at both the smart move or credit report recommendation. And number three, I want to tell everybody exactly the same thing, which is this, we have had unprecedented response to this property and the owner has asked if they can look at all of the highest and best offers 
on Sunday night at 6 p.m. and they will make a decision at that time. We'll notify you of their decision at that time. And tell them once again, here are the criteria that the owner will be using and they won't know what the race is. We're not gonna tell them what the race is. That's not, the, the here are the protected classes and we recognize that and we celebrate those and they're all welcome here, okay? So now let's move on to what the uh, rental policies are. And I agree with you, it's a valid concern. And I think as long as the Department of Housing and Urban Development continues to pay for testers to try to trap people like you and me, and they do, then they're going too far, in my humble opinion. Other people might feel differently, and I understand why they feel that way. I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting that there isn't a problem. I would like to think that we have made progress in the last 50 or 60 years, but, uh, and I believe we have, but, um, uh, I think you're smart to, at every step, look at your own process and say, could this be misinterpreted? Because if it could, it's not going to hurt the prospective tenant any. All they've got to do is go down there and file a complaint. It's going to come back on me. And even if I'm found not guilty in an administrative law court, I still have to have an attorney, I still have to mount a defense, I still have to take time off, and I still have to worry myself to death to see if I'm going to federal prison for the rest of my life, breaking rocks at Leavenworth. So- well, and, and, and John, I appreciate everything you said about those testers. I think for our audience, John is, when I've done some reading on it, there are, uh, I guess, the version of uh, uh, secret shoppers. And so a tester would be a secret shopper to see if you're doing it right. Or the other day I was in a convenience store and they talked about how they test if you check for ID. Same type of thing when you're buying alcohol. Uh, they do the same thing in um, rental property. But you know what? What you said and what I had said, I think if you have it in writing and say it's listed for $1,300 and then the tester would have to fill out a form and says, but I'm going to offer you $1,550 now they've already become part of the process and they can't say they didn't know what's going on. If they give a verbal at 1550 and you say yes to somebody else, whatever, that would be a problem. But I imagine if you can somehow do it on online or I mean, uh, in writing, I think you'll have a better chance of uh, winning. But again, you have all the problems of, of the complaint anyway. But It is interesting to me how much of the rental process has and continues to move online, replacing the personal interview. Um, the most recent rental we had, we did the interview by Zoom, just like you and I are talking now. And all of the paperwork was, was done um, with PDFs that had secure signatures and all of that stuff that we talk about. I will say this. Um, I 
the, the one area of concern that I see in this economy, I, I don't think we are in an ecological or, or a economic disaster from which mankind will never recover. I think, you know, we're, we're going to make it through this, the recession, there's going to be more inflation, there's no recognition that 80% of the um, energy consumed in this country last year was generated from fossil fuels. And I think it is simply unrealistic to think that we can flip a switch and turn that off and move to windmills and solar panels. And I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't be exploring that, but I believe in an all of the above approach. And the concern that I have is that if the current administration doesn't recognize that what they're doing to fossil fuel is hurting, not helping, um, that could be a problem. I do believe that um, one of my favorite motion pictures stars John Wayne along with Shirley Temple and she wore a yellow ribbon and John Wayne um, was a cavalry officer and he led one of these charges with his sword out and, and yells at one point, are you with me, men? And they go straight to their deaths. But the cavalry was on the way. So I believe the cavalry is on the way. I think we have a, a, a part of the genius of the founding fathers, I think, was a sort of a balancing, self-balancing mechanism. And anytime we get too off on one side or the other, things tend to swing back the other way. I think that's going to happen. Um, the concern that I have is twofold. First, this administration has a really bad habit of ignoring reality and doubling down on fantasy. <laughs> okay. And, and I believe that when they receive, when the cavalry gets here in November, they're going to say, wait a minute, we have lost the Senate. We have lost the House of Representatives. We weren't able to accomplish our radical new Green Deal agenda when we had all, all, all three. And it's gonna be even less likely now. They'll have two choices. They can either opt for a change in direction, a clear change in recognition of the fact that the cavalry has come or they can double down. And I'm afraid with this White House, they're going to double down. Um, I don't think the president is calling the shots. I think Ron Klain, who is the uh, chief of staff, is making the decisions. And because it just doesn't seem to me that the president has the cognitive skills really to, to pull this off. I may be you know, you may refer to me as Dr. Adams if you'd like. Um, but the other and maybe the chief concern that I have is that millions and millions of Americans 
may be put in the awkward position of never being able to own a home because they can't afford it. And I think part of the fabric that makes America great is that possibility of pursuing your dream of home ownership. And if we turn that light bulb off, if we say, and I'm, I'm, I have here in my formerly nicotine stained hands, um, an article about owning a home being part of the American dream. And Ian, I'm concerned uh, in a recent study, listen to this, 88% of consumers would rather own a home than rent. Well, that makes sense to me, but more than half of working age renters worry that they won't be able to buy a home during their lifetime. And if that happens, I just worry about America as an institution. If we devolve into a nation of haves and have-nots, that does not bode well for the American dream, in my opinion. And I would like to find some way to get beyond that. So I don't know. I just wanted to throw that out there. John, you're, you're always got great insight into the political world and what's happening down the road. I want to bring it, though, to uh, just a little short, less, much more short term. You talked about a real estate education. I did want to let everybody know that uh, Georgia Rhea has changed to a different format on their general meeting. It's now going to be quarterly, and we're going to have uh, our general meeting this, this uh, Monday, July 11th at 7 o'clock. So they're welcome to go to the website georgiaria.org and actually check out where it's going to be and in a new format. So uh, we're really looking forward to a new, uh, it's always about education and more people learn, sure. learn about what's coming and your products are always right there in the forefront of discussion and, and, and availability because they offer so much value. I do well, want to ask. I, yeah. The Georgia Real Estate Investors Association, which can be found online at GA. R-E-I-A dot org um, offers so many opportunities for people to just meet, if nothing else, meet with people who are like-minded. Um, I, I say, um, go and take a hundred bucks with you, but don't take any credit cards. <laughs> Learn, don't, don't buy a real expensive program. Um, because I just think it's not necessary in most cases, but George Rhea has always been focused on education. And for that, I applaud that organization, even from the days that it was a Robert Allen, nothing down group, a Rand group. Um, it, it has um, uh, grown and it has reorganized again and again and reinvented itself. And I wish the organization Tremendous success. I know you have been so generous to continue serving as the uh, leader of the landlord subgroup. When does that meet, Ian? Well, John, it's, it's the fourth Thursday of the, of the month, but I will tell you this. Even Georgia Rhea changed their whole office. and You wouldn't recognize the place if you haven't been there in the last couple of months because we were closed. But uh, it's now an 
whole different format. John, I want to mention one more thing off of Georgia Rio for a moment. Do you remember earlier in the hour, last hour, you talked about Executive Park? And yes. back in the when I graduated at Emory, my first job out of college was knocking on doors, ironically, to lease office space in Decatur, Georgia, to a building that you're familiar with, the Fidelity National Bank building, but sure. um, that curved building. But I yep. used to call on Executive Park, and it brought back a lot of memories. But the thing about Executive Park that I think our listeners would appreciate is this was a suburban office park in North Atlanta, and knowing about Atlanta, you know, the downtown was the nucleus, if you will, and started with the railroads and built up from there. And of course, it's going to Chattanooga. But the point is, um, it was a big deal to go out even as far as North Stewart Hills and put down office space. I mean, what happened to downtown Atlanta? What do you mean you're doing it out here? And it was the very first suburban office park in the country. That's correct. That this, was amazing. I believe, tell me if I'm right or wrong, this was a vision of a gentleman named Harvey Mathis. Yep, it was. And uh, he was widely recognized as a visionary. But you're right. When Executive Park was built, a lot of people thought he was nutty as a fruitcake to go, who would want to have an office out in the suburbs if you're supposed to have an office downtown? And uh, it opened the door to what we now think of as um, corporate campuses that we see spread all over creation. And certainly uh, uh, he was a visionary and, and we have to, I think the lesson is that you and I and everybody listening has to keep our eyes open for the next trend. And I'm going to suggest something. And, and I've been saying this for 40 years and I've been consistently wrong for 40 years. So take this with not a grain of salt. I would add a 55 gallon drum of salt, okay? I would like to see the real estate sales industry, the real estate financing industry, the real estate governmental structure and the housing industry come together and find a way to build clean, decent, affordable housing that didn't become slums. Um, I went, I, I visited a place in Chicago called Cabrini Green with a friend of mine who, um, his name is John Abercrombie, and he ran um, a community, what was it called? Oh, Common Focus. And his organization tried to help people get into clean, decent, affordable housing. And, and he and I went to Cabrini Green to talk to some people who had similar goals in Chicago. But that goal has eluded the housing industry since the great society, since Lyndon Johnson said, we're gonna tear down these slums and we're gonna build beautiful, huge apartment communities and put all the low income people together. And that didn't work. That, that I think was a, a negative thing 
to do. Uh, and that's where Section 8 has come from. Section 8 was an attempt to tear down the low-income areas and disperse people into the broader market. The problem is it's still run exactly like a government program. I do know landlords, and I know you do too, Ian, that have mastered how to work with Section 8, and they do very well. Um, I'm not one of them. I will, I will freely admit that I bristle when you call me and tell me what I have to do to my property in order to be eligible to get a check from the government. And I, I, that's just the way I am. I, uh, maybe that, and I'm sure it's a problem. But anyway, I will say this, a couple of things that spring to mind, and then we got to get out of here. We are here on St. Simon's Island. Margie and I last week spotted a, I don't know what you'd call it. It's a large lot in Brunswick where they have built about 10 of what I would call mini homes. They're, they're sort of one bedroom, one bath, little kitchenette. Um, they're, they're not on wheels, but they do appear that you could just pick them up and put them on the back of a truck. Now, you'd obviously have to connect electricity and plumbing at that point. So, you know, yes, there is some infrastructure that would need to be considered. But I have not investigated that. And I, it's, it's something I'm just very interested in because the reality is Margie and I don't need 3,000 or 4,000 square feet. And we don't need four bedrooms, three and a half baths. What are, the, what are those costs, John? I you have any idea? Do they have a sign up there what they cost? It said something about partners of housing in Brunswick. So we're in the process of checking that. I will try to get some pictures this coming week and, and see if I can come back and share. The other thing is I really would like to see government talk to the um, manufactured housing industry and say, how can we work together to produce something that people would like to live in that has a potential for increasing in value over time that doesn't look like a mobile home park. Okay. John, you've had Vivian for 40 years and maybe this is the time, the affordable maybe, housing. I mean, this may together. be a pipe dream. I admit that I don't have experience in mobile homes. We ought to talk with Dykes Bodiford. He does. Um, but these are just some things that are on my mind as we see during this recession that it seems to be becoming harder for renters to rent without engaging in a some sort of uh, bidding contest. John, I just got to tell you, though, that this week I did a virtual estimate of something that goes on right now in the moving industry and I was looking inside this guy's house and we're walking around and it was as normal as can be inside the house. And then he went outside to show me what movers need to know about access. And it was a mobile home park. And what I said out loud, I didn't know that. I thought we were in a regular home. And I was so impressed about the inside. 
it wasn't it wasn't a reflection on the outside. It was just it was it looked so good on the inside. So wow, just a, the thought it was higher. Well, it is interesting, and it's uh, uh, there's no reason that a pre-manufactured house has to look like a pre-manufactured house, except that in that industry, I think it has been so traditional that they put a very low profile roof on it. And of course, to me, as soon as I see a low profile roof, I say, oh, this must be just a trailer. And it changes the dynamic completely. So in any case, guess what? We have run out of time. I'm going to uh, click back to the slideshow here, and we are going to have some fun, I think. And you said that was Tuesday at 8.20 is Fox 5. That is right. Tuesday at 8.20. Well, we're making a mistake here. One, one, zero. Let's see if that works. Guess what, folks? That's a 3-0 Mark four. the John Adams Radio Show, and on behalf of my guest and evil twin, Ian Robbins, this is John Adams reminding you your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Make your choice a good one. We're not getting any music here. And I can don't I, know what. You know, I I've had nothing but trouble today. Oh, that's because I haven't shared the screen. Now I've lost this entirely. Boy, I can't win for losing today. I'll play some Beatles. <laughs> now, we're going to get to the right thing eventually. It's just not easy. We're sharing sound, and that should say the future of office buildings. And now we're going to go up here to 110, which is right here, and we're going to play this. How about that? So, as I said, that's a 3-0 Mark IV. The John Adams Radio Show. And on behalf of Ian Robbins, I am John Adams reminding you, your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. So long, everybody. Finally, got it.